Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And today I'm going to uh, have to keep my own commentary to a minimum, because if I don't, I'm uh, going to put off this podcast for another day yet while I continue reading a novel that uh, just seems to have totally captured my imagination. And I'm sure that happens to you from time to time as well. You know, uh, it isn't often that a story catches you, and uh, even then, the state of mind that you're in uh, when you began the book uh, could have a big bearing on how deeply you get into it. So it's uh, not that I don't want to spend some time with you here today in the salon, it's uh, just that I've got some uh, fictional characters on my mind that, that, well, they need me to read them out of the current situation they're in, because uh, if I don't get back to reading their story, they may stay stuck there forever. <laughs> well, now I'm uh, completely lost as to what I wanted to say to get things rolling today. So uh, let me start once again. Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. <laughs> this is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And uh, today we're going to hear one of the uh, last of the Planque Norte lectures that were delivered at the 2012 Burning Man Festival. When uh, Pez stopped by uh, to see me a few weeks ago, he reminded me that I still hadn't podcast Hamilton Southers' talk about his experiences with ayahuasca. And uh, then he went on to allow us how, well, he thought it was one of the best talks of the series, uh, one for sure that I shouldn't miss. Well, uh, I have a confession to make. Having been a member of an ayahuasca circle for the past 14 years or so, and having spent a lot of time in discussion with uh, people about the vine and people who've been participating in these sessions for many more years than I have, well, I guess that I probably thought I'd heard it all. But was I ever in for a surprise when I just now finished editing Hamilton's talk? And uh, by editing, I mean I eliminated a few quiet spots where uh, someone in the audience asked a question that wasn't picked up in the recording. And uh, looking back, uh, I'm now quite anxious to listen to this talk again. By the time I'd uh, heard, say, the first 20 minutes or so of Hamilton's talk, I was really hooked. Uh, as I said, I've participated in ayahuasca circles uh, many times over the past 14 years, and yet I've never been able to come even close to uh, being able to uh, provide the brilliant commentary and clear commentary that uh, Hamilton has done about explaining not only how to participate in an ayahuasca ceremony, but, uh, well, what takes place in one's own mind during a ceremony. It's, uh, it's really so good to know that our elders now are quite young, <laughs> at least uh, when compared to dusty old farts like me. And uh, that means that knowledge about this global expansion of the vine is, uh, well, it's not going to be lost. Uh, well, at least it won't be lost for enough generations to affect the changes in consciousness that uh, Hamilton speaks about. So let's now join Pez as he introduces Hamilton Souther in his 2012 Planque Norte lecture at that year's Burning Man Festival. Um, so Hamilton has studied and practiced traditional Amazonian shamanism with a focus in ayahuasca tree and Sanago, Sanango shamanism in the Peruvian Amazon for the last 10 years. He became interested in how the shamans utilize sound, chant, and music to guide and affect trance states as well as healing. 
is practice as a healer at the Blue Morpho Center, specializing in using ayahuasca and sound to heal depression, to generate transcendent experience of consciousness. Please welcome Hamilton. That's fine. Do this, that, whatever. Really mellow. This is awesome because it's just us, at least for now, right? So I spent the last 11 years drinking ayahuasca. So, you know, that's really what I've been doing. And the time building Blue Morpho and expanding in shamanism and stuff like that, but really drinking ayahuasca, doing diets and things like that. So, I don't know, we can put it somewhere, you know, 1,100, 1,200, 1,300 ceremonies in the last 11 years, something like that. We drink about 100 to 120 times a year. So, um, we can just talk. I don't have to give a talk. This is small enough that we can just ask questions and talk and stuff like that. I guess you guys have been hearing a bunch of other lectures and ideas about, you know, the use of psychedelics and shamanism and stuff like that. And so um, I'll start, give it like maybe, you know, five or ten minutes, and then let's just wrap. How long do we have, Paz? How much time do we have? Okay, perfect. So how many of you guys have you, how many of you heard of ayahuasca? Okay, everybody. And then how many of you have drunk ayahuasca? Okay, less than that. All right. Um, for those who haven't drunk ayahuasca, ayahuasca is a potent uh, Amazonian traditional medicine form. Uh, considered in the West to be a psychedelic, potent hallucinogen. Um, and all of those terms don't really fit the way the traditional Amazonian shamans look at it. They look at it as alive, a being that is connected to a world. And in that world, there are hundreds of thousands, millions of spirits. And they have organization and civilization and community and society like humans. But they live within these visionary realms. And the ayahuasca is a medium to enter into those realms and interact with those spirits. And the interaction with the spirits produces the journey that you go on as well as the transformation that takes place through that journey. And what is going to define the nature of that interaction are the beings that you interact with, the actual specific spirits that you're meeting with and the places that you go. So inside ayahuasca, once you drink and you start to go into the visions, it's like a gateway that's opening up through the first gateway being the mouth and then the ingestion of the ayahuasca. The ayahuasca goes through you and it is considered that the medicine spirits are now in the physical body. So those medicine spirits are going to utilize the mind, the egoic structure, emotions, feelings, understandings that you have, language, and then they're going to start to uncouple you as a being from body and from normal mind and start to transcend you into their world. So they're going to draw you through this gateway, take you into their world, take you on a journey through their world, and transform you based on really the intent of the shaman and your intent being in the ceremony. So a mixture of both intents, your own and that of the shaman. And you start to go on the journey and you begin to interact with these different kinds of spirits. And the spirits will come in a variety of different forms. They're going to come in shapes, patterns, and colors. 
They're going to come in entity form. They're going to come in changes to the energy or the vibe of the space that you're in, and they're going to come in the form of the actual spaces that you go into, the worlds that you go into. Once you go through the gateway, drinking the ayahuasca, you then start your journey. So that journey can take the shape of really an unlimited number of forms. There are some journeys that stay really lucid, coherent in body. There are some journeys that are very, very mind-oriented, some very emotionally oriented, some that are incredibly visionary and, and travel-oriented, going to places, some that are all about realizations, and then some that are a mixture, a mixture of all of those pieces that can form one complete journey. So the journey itself usually lasts somewhere between three and five hours, and the longer ones go anywhere from 10, 12, 13, 14 hours. Um, by that point, usually people are, are starting to calm down and come out of it. And the duration has a lot to do with the way the ayahuasca is prepared. Ayahuasca is the term given to this tea, this mixture of plants. So it's not just one plant, even though there is a plant called ayahuasca. So ayahuasca is a term meaning vine of the soul or vine of the spirit or vine of the dead. And the translation vine of the dead doesn't really mean dead in the same way like Westerners conceive of death, but rather two forms. One, the ending of one world that you've been in and the beginning of a new one, so the death of the world that you came from to enter into another one. And also an understanding that dead in the essence of spirit, like another way of just saying soul or spirit is this idea of, of the dead, like what's left of you if the physical body were no longer there. So really it's all about this idea of spirit and interaction with spirits. And shamanism itself is fundamentally a methodology of how to interact with all of these different kinds of beings and spirits that are found through the journeying of consciousness. Okay, now in typical Western views of shamanism, they play a dualistic game called ordinary consciousness, non-ordinary consciousness. This is ordinary because we have a tremendous amount of time associated with it saying this is what's normal and now that's altered. I would rather transcend that definition and look at consciousness as being bound to what we're experiencing in that very moment and saying that we're not in an altered state, we're in our state. We are in consciousness, and now consciousness is looking like this whole expression, and we're going to continue in that expression, and we're going to come into new expressions of consciousness, and we're never going to go back to what was. We're never going to go from ordinary to non-ordinary to ordinary. By the time you get back to that idea of ordinary, things have changed, and that's the whole purpose of the transformative journey in ayahuasca that you're going to have a transformative experience, so you're not going to come back to ordinary, but you are going to come back to sane, lucid, stable, clear, aware, and present in a way to be able to function with physical reality. Okay? So we transcend that idea of ordinary, non-ordinary, and we go into an idea of consciousness, expansion of consciousness, pursuit of learning about consciousness, growth in consciousness, and doing it through these beings. The spirits themselves have a variety of different kinds of function. The spirits have purpose and they are unique. 
And so the different spirits you interact with will be able to share different kinds of wisdom, different kinds of understanding with you, and different kinds of healing. And so this creates a pantheon of spirits within the ayahuasca world. Then the medicine spirits, it's a grouping of spirits that are there. The doctor spirits are typically called ayarunas and cincharunas. And they are the head medicine spirits of all of the different plants and all of the different realms. And they govern medicine within ayahuasca. So you drink the ayahuasca, you go into their world, and you start to engage and you interact with these spirits. And it's these spirits that produce the transformation and the healing that takes place in ayahuasca ceremonies. That's a basic foundation. Are there any questions about, about that? All right. So then the effects of ayahuasca can be wide, 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 wide. And so when we try to pin down what is ayahuasca and what is common to ayahuasca, we find that we can't. We just can't, and so we don't have to. We can just stop that whole pursuit and just say, what we're really doing is continuing to explore beyond our understanding. We're continuing to go into the unknown and finding and discovering new realizations and understandings and transformations and healings through that pursuit. When I was working with the maestros that taught me, Alberto Torres Davila and Julio Jarena Pinedo, who are both tremendous master shamans in the Amazon, Julio is now deceased, um, and I still work with Alberto, when I would find things out and I would have realizations and I would come to them with these tremendous stories of what had happened and what I had learned, they'd be like, ah, you have discovered that. Like, oh, yes, you have discovered something new, right? Yes. Okay, let's go. Let's keep going. Okay, we're not done yet. That, that discovery is, is one piece of this tremendous, tremendous, tremendous cosmology called ayahuasca. The visions that we have are teaching us, but vision in shamanism, and especially with visionary plants, we get asked this all the time, why do I not have more vision? How do I make my vision clearer? How do I expand my vision? And my answer to that is, you can't. You're having vision. It's how you relate to vision. Vision is sensory experience. It is perceptive experience. It is sound, smell, feeling, awareness, understanding, knowledge, visual context, all at the same time. So the moment you go in, the moment you participate, it's happening. The question is now, what's happening? It's never going to be our preconceived idea of what's supposed to happen. The preconceived idea of what's supposed to happen was what was guiding us during the time up to the ceremony. You begin the ceremony. Now there's no preconceived idea about what's going to happen. You're in it, and you start to work with what you actually have there. So you start to work with everything that's going on inside of you, all of it. And the spirits are going to start to work with everything that's going on that's inside of you. What that sets up is a process common to ayahuasca called purging. So purging often is found to be something that is about releasing in the form of vomiting or defecating. But I think that's a very limited understanding and definition for the concept of purging. And I would just like to think of purging as releasing. And when you release something, it allows you to be able to grow and change. And so there are many different kinds of ways to purge. And it is absolutely not necessary to purge physically. 
Right? The only reasons people are purging physically is when there's something physically wrong in the body, some ailment that is being coalesced into the intestines or into the stomach, and it's coming out. Or you've drunk too much ayahuasca for your body to be able to handle, and it's purging itself. Right? You don't overdose on it because you throw it up. And if you look in somebody's bucket, it's filled with ayahuasca. Just filled. Right? So that's, they've had too much ayahuasca. Or a person is in a part of a ceremony where the intensity of the experience is too much for them to be able to contain anymore. And so their psychic structure, mental structure, emotional structure, physical structure is going to be broken apart. And in that, pieces are going to be filtered out of it, pieces are going to be released, and a new structure is going to be built that's going to allow you to continue forward and pursue more in that ceremony. All right, so we can get completely outside of the idea of having to wait for you know, the physical experience of purging, and we can get right into that ceremony, and we can start to release. Often people have anxiety before going in. They're a little scared. You know, that's the first thing that can go. Just start letting that go as soon as you go in. And then the process of purging is just a tracking and a following of anything that isn't being represented as as whole within you anymore. So it gets fragmented and there are these thoughts and pieces, they go. Emotional stuff comes up, it goes. You know, resistance happens, it goes. And then you just continue to release. At some point, if you need to, you'll throw up or you'll have to go to the bathroom. Or you won't. And in both of those cases, you're still in the ceremony, it's still working, the medicine's still having an effect, and you're going. One of the most powerful ayahuasca ceremonies I see for people is when they go in and they think nothing happens. Because what happens is all of a sudden they start doubting, they start getting really confused, they start challenging all their preconceived ideas, they start wondering why it's not working on them, they get really self-conscious, they wonder if ayahuasca doesn't like them, they have all of this stuff start happening, and in their mind they're still saying nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And I'm going, what do you mean nothing's happening? You weren't thinking like that before we got started. Now you're completely thinking like that. You're fixated in that. You're being completely guided by that. And that's all the stuff that needs to go. Let's start purging and releasing. Let's start connecting to the ceremonial experience that we're actually having. And then if you get through all of that and let all of that go, all of a sudden you realize, wow, it's really, really, really happening. Right? This is really happening. Another part of ayahuasca that, that's really pertinent to the experience is the concept of lucidity. Ayahuasca ceremonies are not about being high or, like, wasted. They're about being really clear, really lucid in medicine, and being able to be very discerning and very, very active. And so you're participating in the ceremony with the ayahuasca. As I said from the beginning, it's not conceived in the Amazon to be a drug trip. It's conceived to be a visionary medicine of pure consciousness that is interacting with you, and it is waiting to interact with you. So the more you show up, the more you participate, the more you get involved in the ceremony, the more the ayahuasca forms a give and a take with you that becomes this incredible expression and experience. Okay, that is fundamental to shamanism. That's what the shamans are doing. Right? The shamans don't drink the ayahuasca and then just sit there and then do nothing. 
right? The shamans drink the ayahuasca and they start to then work it. They start to play their instruments that they have. They start to create the rhythms and the beats found within the ceremony. They start to guide the ceremony with their chants and they immediately go into a system of communication with the ayahuasca. So that system of communication takes three different forms. The first is in the form of ikros, which are sung during the ceremony. The second is the words in the, in the ikros themselves, so a language that's being spoken. And the third is what is happening inside the mind. And the mind for the shaman is working with the spirits. It's connecting to these individual spirits, engaging them, talking with them, receiving from them, and continuing to move the ceremony. So as a participant in the ceremony, you also have the same role, hence participant. You are participating. And so the ayahuasca is there as consciousness inside of you, working with you, saying, come on, we're going to do this together. I'm not going to do this to you but rather we're going to engage and interact together and we're going to go on this journey together and I'm going to guide you on this journey together. And the shamans are there helping to guide you on the journey together. Okay. And so, in essence, the more you participate in the journey, right, which is a give and a take, it's not a control, it's not a lockdown, it's an active process and a receptive process to the spirits found within the ayahuasca. And people say, well, how do I connect with these spirits? And it's really simple. You focus on them. You focus. They call it concentrar down there, which means to concentrate, but it's not a kind of concentration typical to Western thought. It's in focusing, you shut down the active thinking part of the mind and you connect to what it is that's actually happening. You're connecting to the experience of the ceremony itself. And so it's common in ayahuasca ceremonies, for instance, to see colors and patterns. It's in all of the ayahuasca art, these tremendous colors and patterns. People go into ceremonies and they start seeing these colors and patterns. They want to know what the colors and patterns are. And they go and ask the shaman. I think, well, why didn't you ask the colors and patterns? That's how the shamans found out what they are. Right? But what do you mean? I can't, how am I going to talk to these colors and patterns? You focus on them and you say, what are you? And through that focus, this channel opens up and the answer comes. Right? Right? And then people say, well, I heard these incredible stories of these people that went on these amazing journeys and I didn't go. What happened? I go, well, did you go through the colors and patterns? And they go, they say, they say can you go through the colors and patterns? And I said, did you try to go through the colors and patterns? Again, your participation, right? Which takes us to the fundamental key to all shamanic practices, because all shamanic practices are visionary, and it is a redefinition of the imagination. Shamanism is inherently an imaginative practice. The imagination in shamanism is considered to be limitless. And it's not considered to be a place of fantasy or fabrication. It's considered to be possibly a place of fantasy and fabrication if you are fantasizing and fabricating. But if you're not, the imagination is used as an unlimited visionary gateway that allows you to interact with spirits and to travel. And so you use your creativity through your imagination to test the boundaries that you're experiencing in the ceremony. So it's found in the imagination, the idea, I could go beyond these patterns. 
And if you project yourself through that focus to the other side of them, all of a sudden you'll start going. You'll f experience movement in a certain direction, the direction that you're intending. The patterns will all of a sudden be all around you as if you're in a tunnel of them, and you'll be going through that tunnel all of a sudden to a place that doesn't have any patterns and colors. It won't have any ikaros. It won't have any physical ceremonial center. It won't have anything that you ever noted to be this normalcy, and it won't have your body in it. But you'll be there, intact, whole, complete, and experiencing now the worlds of ayahuasca. That becomes the gateway through. Right? But you have to be ready to go. The ayahuasca is going to say, you know, are you ready to go? Are we going to do this together? Otherwise, you stay on this side of it, right? And you're looking at the patterns and colors. Right? That's what allows you to be able to transcend and go through and then start to explore this incredibly imaginative space. Right? So the question becomes, well, is that real? And the answer is, well, how would you ever know anything's real other than the fact that you agreed that it was real in the first place? So in essence, you make it real. It's real for you if it's real for you, and if it's not real for you, it's not real for you. you know? But if you experience healing in that space and you come back out of it and the healing has taken place mentally, physically, and, and personally, and it's integrated, was that real? You know, by Western logic and understanding, they would say yes, and then it creates a mystical conundrum, which is how could that be real? Right? And so I like to look at that from a perspective that it's all real. And let's just take unreal out of it. Let's take that duality completely out of it. Let's make it all real and start to look at it for what it actually is. Is this taking place in the mind? Is this taking place in the imagination? Is this taking place emotionally? Is this taking place in astral planes? Is this taking place in the worlds that are accessible in these incredible shamanic cosmologies? If yes, then that's exactly what's happening. And it's not a question of whether it needs to be defended or not defended or proven or anything else. You're the one having the experience, which is the beauty of learning in shamanism. Shamanism is not taught intellectually. It is taught experientially. You have the experience. You participate. Shamans function as guides. They support you, and they use these tremendous medicine forms like ayahuasca to be able to do that work. And they become masters of this communication. When you go into an ayahuasca ceremony, you are not losing your autonomy to that ceremony. You're not losing who you are on the country. You're using all of it. You're using everything to be able to get into that ceremony and to be able to continue to grow and push those boundaries and those barriers. The way we learn in ayahuasca is by going beyond where our imagination became limited. So we get a thought like, I can't, I, I, it's too much, I can't go any further. Yes, you can. Yes, you will. You know? So in my first ayahuasca seminar, I thought I couldn't go any further after 15 minutes. Four and a half hours later, we were still pushing that envelope. <laughs> right? And we kept going further and further and further and further. You'll hear people talk about ayahuasca and conceptualize ayahuasca for you. And I had a, you know, a really amazing gift in my life to have the opportunity to receive the love and dedication of the two maestros that I trained with to open that world for me and to invite me into their tremendous world. I mean, it was, it was absolute, absolute tremendous, tremendous, tremendous gift. But what they showed me over and over and over and over and over and over again is that even they do not know what ayahuasca is.
because you're never experiencing ayahuasca. You're always experiencing ayahuasca plus you. And that combination is not ayahuasca. That combination is you and ayahuasca. And that means ayahuasca then is undefinable. We don't know what it is, which then always allows us to continue to explore the unknown. And it becomes an unlimited journey for us to be able to continue to go further and further and further and further in our understanding. When you go into an ayahuasca ceremony and you come out on the other side of it, transformation has taken place. As you continue to integrate through the day and then you drink the next night in the next ceremony, you're not the same person you were when you went in the night before. So it's new again. Now it's ayahuasca plus you, but you're now this new being. And so for me, when I was going through training, it was, once I got uh, comfortable with the idea, I would release a whole world, my whole universe, every single night, and I would be born into a brand new world and a brand new universe every single morning. And within it, the definitions found within my own imagination and my own understanding, like gravity, and distance and time and these physical laws start to change. I start to realize that those are only defined coupled to this state of consciousness, but it's not defined to consciousness as consciousness evolves and changes. And that we're not limited by all of these specific concepts we had before. And we go into a new world again to explore who I am as consciousness today with ayahuasca as a guide once more. You know, which then sets up the ability to participate in many, many ceremonies and after 500 ceremonies have experiences that completely redefine the previous 500. Go to a thousand and have experiences that completely redefine the previous thousand. You know, drink for three decades and come back from that and have it redefined again. And it makes it an unlimited exploration of life. And what that does is it brings a newness to our life so that our experience of our, our conceptualization of life does not contain then reality. It's not containing what is. It's saying, this is what I think it to be, not what it is. It's what I think it to be. It's how I conceive of it now. Yes, but that's not specific exactly to what is we're going to now go see if there's a whole lot more going on and we're going to go find out that once again there is a whole lot more going on and so that journey becomes unlimited we can continue to push beyond all of these different kinds of barriers and our shamanism becomes no longer specific to these very limited sort of defined intents like this specific healing and it becomes an exploration of what it is to live or what it is to experience or what it is to perceive. And at that point, the shamanism becomes a guide and the ayahuasca becomes a guide for an exploration of the purity of consciousness. Now that consciousness that we're exploring is your own. It's your own consciousness. Found within that consciousness is every experience that you've ever had, all of your memories, all of your concepts, all of the time, all of your creation stories, all of your myths, all of your beliefs, all of your ideologies, everything's found within it. Everything that makes up you is found within that. And that's what we're exploring.
we're still in your universe when we go all the way to a spiral galaxy 300, 500 light years, 2 million light years from here in your journey. We're still in your consciousness. And we're still interacting with everything that makes up you. At which point then we can start to challenge this definition of self. And we can start to redefine the concept of who we are, not to just the concept of who we think we are, again, think, who we conceptualize our, ourselves to be, and we can start to experience ourselves in a much more expanded version. We can start to experience who we are as something way beyond the physical, way beyond something that's finite, way beyond the story of birth and death, way beyond the story of limited time, and then we can bring those realizations into our daily interaction with others, with community, with society, with our professions, with our families. And we can start to expand the definition of how those interactions take place. We can bring in elements of that learning and radically transform how we experience self in our interaction with others in our interaction with our world, with our community, with our society, with our friends, with our family. Are there any questions? So the question is, have I found any objective reality within my journeys and experience? You mean objective like shared between everybody? Or the objective reality that is universal in every moment of every day, of every concept, of every form, is love. Love is a term, right? It's a symbol. We can talk about it in many different forms. We can talk about it as oneness. We could talk about it as unity. We could talk about it as wholeness. You can get religious and talk about it as God. You can talk about it as divinity. You can talk about it as light. You can talk about it in many different forms. And what you're doing is talking about it. Right? When we look at people... We're going to see that in our minds, we conceptualize ourselves in groupings. We group ourselves. First, we group ourselves as humans. And then we group ourselves as part of a certain geography that's coupled to a worldview of a sphere going around a sun. I say worldview because it's a worldview. It could be challenged or not challenged. Other people had many different ideas about that over the years, right? So we have these collective ideas. We have these groupings. And when we finally get to self in all of this, we're going to find that self, the part that we identify with, is made up of really a very limited number of qualities or characteristics in comparison to everything else that we experience in life. So I'm these feelings, these thoughts, this body, this time, these stories, this history. That's me living in world, which is made up of all of this other stuff, made up of other people and other places and other times and other stories. Right? And it creates this incredible juxtaposition where self is tremendously isolated. Okay? And what self experiences as reality is the conceptualization of this give and take between the definition set of personality and identity with then the concept of other. Okay? But how can that be an objective reality when if we look at the content itself that's making up that structure, we can see that that structure can be the same or very similar for many, many, many different people. The content within that structure is completely different. 
right? So while we, we group ourselves in these tremendous collective groupings, we can do this right now. Let's look around. And if we really look at each individual, just the physical body, we're going to see that there is more not the same than there is the same. If we get into all the details, the whole thing is tremendously unique. Now, if we take that into your history, okay, while history is the same, what fills that history, the experience is very, 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 very different. Right? Now, if we bring in belief, beliefs and ideologies, very, 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 very different. Right? Then if we bring in personality, very, 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 very different. And so how could there be one objective reality when the tools that we're using to define and describe reality are inherently unique? Okay, so the only way to be able to get to that objective reality is to transcend the use of those tools. Okay, and so as we transcend the use of those tools, what happens is you go in an ascension. It's called a mystical ascension or a, a shamanic ascension. And a process gets started that we don't conceive of before we get into it, right? Which is that everything as you go into it starts to change, including the definitions you have of life, the definitions you have of reality, the definitions you have of self, the definitions you have of others. So that by the time you get, as you're pursuing this concept of reality, the tools that you would even be using have now all changed. Who you are is different. How you are is different. And you're a completely new and unique being. Right? So we'll get all the way to a point where you start to transcend the identification with self itself. It's no longer seen as separate. It's no longer seen as part of reality, but rather the entirety of everything. And this structure and stratification we have of reality to geography and time and identity and universe and beliefs and history and past, all of this content that we're using to define and describe our reality starts to go away. It starts to dissolve. It starts to disappear. It's not there. It's not accessible anymore. Right? As we keep going, 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 you get to a point what's called two. At two, there's still a coalesce version of you and everything else absolutely everything else but everything else isn't everything else all broken down into you know planets and cars and bikes and playa and everything else it's now all one thing it's all one thing it's identification and one other thing in the transcendence of that we finally meet objective reality i call that love we could call it anything but I call that love. Okay. The only thing is, in the movement into that, where two really does become one, the discernibility that you would use to recognize one is lost. It's unified. It also dissolves. Okay. And so in that, we lose self. And in, in all different kinds of shamanism, this idea of the transcendence of self... You know, ego death, all of that is seen as being imperative, incredibly important. And I would challenge that idea, too. I would say if you don't have a self, you're not having experience, period. You're just not having it. And so the idea of going into a ceremony isn't to die and not ever have a way of being able to engage and interact with 
environment, reality, life, time, space, things, people. Right? You have to have a self to do that. Right? So we go through a different process. It's not the death of self to never have self, but rather it's the death of that version so that you can then have a different version and go through transformation. And you won't, still won't experience a quote-unquote objective reality. You'll be experiencing a new reality based in the interplay between yourself and everything else. Yeah. The question is, have I ever seen a spirit leave a physical imprint? Because I was talking about affecting space itself, affecting physicality. And yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I've had many, many experiences of the physical manifestation of the beings. Um, and I'm happy to tell some of those stories. Uh, Sometimes I wonder whether it's really just me, not a spirit, not I'm externalizing it at that point, you know. And so then it's a question of what do you do with a spirit that's external or do you deal with what is a projection that is internal? And I guess that's a dichotomy that I'm, I'm not fully over. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we can answer both of those questions together. I mean, they're, they're completely related. Um, I would like to expand the, the way that I would personally relate to it. And I came to a realization within myself that everything I was interacting with was spirit. It was a spirit. So the pillow's a spirit. The floor's a spirit. You're a spirit. The crystals in here are a spirit. The dome's a spirit. And so I have an, a definition of inside and outside. I have a definition of me and other. And I can work in my shamanism within that form, right? But it's not the only form with which I can work. I can also work with a definition that all of it's me, none of it is external, and it's an interplay of those pieces. And that decision is going to be made in the moment in the shamanism itself. It's what you're presented with. If you can hold it as all me, it's a very fast, very, very, very clean modality in which to work with. If all of a sudden something triggered inside of you goes, like, that's not me, like the car is not me, right? At that point, you're now dealing with this thing that's, that's a spirit. So um, I, was in a, uh, I was in a diet out in, the, out in the jungle. When I first moved into the Amazon, I moved into an area that was 24 hours outside of the city of Iquitos in northeastern Peru northeastern part of the Amazon, and I was living in a community of eight families on this tiny little tributary to the Ucayali River, and where I was um, told and visioned to place my house was the last inhabitant on that river, and so there were no inhabitants upriver from us for six days of travel overland, so it was completely at that point uninhabited forest, um, tremendously isolated, an incredible place, and it just happened to be 400 yards from where Julio Jerene Pinedo, the grandmaster who taught me, lived. So that's where I did my first ayahuasca ceremony. In the ceremony, I saw that that's where I needed to stay and learn. I still hadn't even met Julio. I ended up meeting him and training, starting to train with him about two years later of, of sort of earning the right to, to be, be, you know, first there to live and then, and then train. And so I'm in a diet. I'm doing a dieta. And all of a sudden... We're in the house. There's no electricity, anything like that. And the house, is a, it's a rectangular space about, uh, I don't know, 20 by 50 rectangular space. In the back, there was a little room, little uh, just sheets of plastic as the wall. I mean, very, very, very rustic. And I'm seeing a light going on and off in the room. There's a light that's going on and off in the room. Okay, so I 
run back there, grab Mapacho, grab some Aga Florida, Mapacho's jungle tobacco, use it to shoo away spirits. And as I run back there and I open up the door, there's a luminous being standing within the room. It leaps through the wall, runs around the house. I run around the other side of the house. It runs all the way down to the port next to the river, runs across the river, and it's splashing on the water as it's running across the river. This is at about 6.30 p.m., stone cold, sober, no ethnogens, no ayahuasca, nothing. Just this is happening, plain as day, okay? Runs across the river, and all of a sudden I hear this buzzing tremendous buzzing and i'm looking around and all of a sudden these three to four inch grasshopper locust creatures thousands of them at a time come and hit the house just boom they hit the house all right so we had everything was screened in you know just like uh, normal screening like you'd have a screen door in your house they're hitting the screens all right within a flash they're passing through the screens and they're inside the house now, and they're flying all around inside the house, all around inside the house. So I got no idea what to do. I'm only there with a friend. The master shams I'm training with are off, and I'm running around. So I go to make a ceremony of fire to use smoke to shoo these things away, right? And I'm chopping the wood, and I bring the machete up, and I see this invisible force move it straight over and drops it right down on my finger. So my finger flays open. Blood starts going everywhere. I'm still making the fire. The locusts are all flying around inside the house. Things are going completely crazy. Luminous beings are coming out of the forest. Paranormal, off the charts, going everywhere, right? So my friend's swatting them away, swatting them away, swatting them away. I finally get the smoke going. I sit down to take care of my finger. One lands on the table. I grab a big flashlight, and I smash it with the flashlight, and I leave the flashlight there. We go, we clear the space, cleanse, 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 clear, clear, clear. 10, 15 minutes later, the energy lifts. There's absolutely no bugs in the house. Nothing, as if nothing had ever happened. I go back, and we're looking everywhere. We cannot believe what happened. The finger's still bleeding, and I raise the flashlight, and there is a stain physically on the table, on the wood table, from it, but its body's not there, and it's stained into the table. So that's one example. I was at another example in an ayahuasca ceremony. In the, in the Amazon, there's all of these different kinds of nature spirits that are mythical. They talk about the, the Sachamama, the 500-meter anaconda. There are these pirawas, these beasts that come from the, the underworlds through water and stuff like that. So we were in a ceremony once. The port, like I said, was from where our ceremonial era was, was behind us about 30 yards away. I'm sitting in ceremony with Alberto. And I hear this... <laughs> Alberto's super nonchalant. He's sitting there smoking a mapacho, singing some micros. I'm early apprenticeship, kind of tense, you know, not really sure what's going on. And all of a sudden, the, the wooden boats and canoes in the port start banging. Crack, 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 crack. And this, like, half bull-shaped, half water beast walks out of the port and is walking up the the ground up the area straight to our ceremony and i'm looking back like this <laughs> like that. i'm looking up there like are you gonna do something are you gonna do something you kept telling him telepathically come on man come on and he just sits there right this thing's like know, 15 feet tall 20 feet long like just coming up right physically crashing things around and he just lights another mapacho takes a big puff at it and goes 
And the thing turns around, walks right back into the water, and goes away. And that was it. <laughs> so another physical manifestation. Um, I was in the city of Iquitos, and some people came to uh, our office, and they had a question. They said, hey, we, we did this ayahuasca ceremony. It's very common through Iquitos. There's lots of travelers, and they hear of ayahuasca, and they're, they're, not, they're just having an experience. Maybe a ceremony or two, something like that, but they're not... They're not like really coming at our center. We have it's a destination based center. So people come for a week to 10 days at a time. They stay. We form a single group. There aren't any walk ins and we hold a collective series of ceremonies. But it's very common for these walk in ceremonies taking place all over the place. And so they came to me and they said, I just want to check out and know if this was if this was kind of okay what I saw in ceremony. I, I saw that this like black cloaked being formed in the room, ran across the room and jumped into the heart chakra of my friend. Is that okay? And I said, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. Like, not in our ceremonies. Like, that wouldn't be legit, right? Like, <laughs> so I said, you know, why don't you come back tonight at 8.30 and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll extract the spirit. A simple spirit extraction, do an invocation, set the space, go in, extract it out, remove it, no big deal. So we get in, and we set up the space, and I have... There's some other people that are interested in shamanism. They'd never drunk. They'd never had sort of a shamanistic experience. And so they were, they were with us. They wanted to watch. They thought it was going to be interesting. And the ceremony starts. No ayahuasca, nothing. Just an energy cleansing. Just an extraction of the spirit, right? And the gentleman in the chair, I'm standing in front of him, drops down like this. And he comes up. Tu no lo vas a poder. And he's completely demonically possessed. He leaps out of his chair to attack me physically. I grab light, and I hold him in the air, and he's, he's held in the air, levitating. I lower him down to the floor, and a two-and-a-half-hour exorcism starts. And in that period of time, the observers that were there on three occasions watched Shadow Beast leap out of his body, take physical form in the room, run through the office, and leap right through the wall. Right? Physical manifestation of the spirits. I've been in other ceremonies where there's been devil's play and negative sort of dark arts being practiced on us while we were cleansing it, and the roof of the place gets dive-bombed, and you hear the roof getting just slammed, and it goes, kush, 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 as these things are trying to get in. So, yes, physical, absolutely. Um, if you can, you don't want to let it get to that level. It's much easier to deal with them as just energy patterns and visionary forms. But when they take on physicality, it's, uh, you know, now you're dealing with a, literally a whole other beast. You have it in a physical form, and it's in the room, right? So also common in ceremonies when, when people are, are playing with the animal spirits, you know, it's, they're, they're not cartoonish. If you invoke a black jaguar in your ceremony and it takes on physical form, you'll have a black jaguar there like you encountered it in the forest. Right? It'll be in the room with you. You know, if it's hungry, real, I mean, you're serious. If it's hungry, you know, you want to be able to feed it, but you don't want to feed it somebody who's in the room. Right? So, yes. Okay, one more question and then it's time for me to go. Yeah. All right. Uh, there's a part to shamanism that not many people talk about. Uh, the sorcery and dark magic, stuff like that. What's your experience, and can you talk a little bit about protection? Yeah. Um, the dark arts, sorcery, things like that are um, not really shared about 
and typically the medicine concept of it is more shared about in the West, but it is a, it's a huge aspect of the traditional practices. Okay, and so the first uh, fundamental differentiation is whether the shaman has learned those arts and practices those arts, or whether the shaman has learned medicine and practices medicine, or has learned both and does both. Okay, the ayahuasca is not seen, again, as the specific medicine, but rather the access to all of these different knowledgeable shamanic forms. Um, the inherent uh, essence of them is to destroy. That's all they are. They break things down. They destroy things. Okay, so when they're used to harm another person, they're used in that form to destroy certain aspects of that other person. Uh, they work in exactly the same way. It's the harnessing of different kinds of spirits, using different kinds of ecros to be able to send them, manifest them, and work with them. And the very best protection is to not get involved with them. That is the very, very best protection is to not get involved. And so the very first thing is to set intent that the only reason you're in an ayahuasca ceremony is for medicine and to learn divine knowledge. That's it. Just medicine and divine knowledge. Medicine and divine knowledge. The second is to only sit in ceremonies with people practicing medicine. And the best way to discern that is to use all of the qualities that you would normally use to discern anything to find out whether that shaman is, is practicing what you would think of as medicine or something that you want to participate with or interact with. So I would do a lot of research, get a lot of information, talk to people who've drunk with them, and especially look at everybody in the eyes. The eyes in ayahuasca tell you everything. If you see people with eyes that get really glossed over and become really shifty, you know, it's, it's letting you know something there is going on that maybe you, you don't want to become like that. You know, maybe that's not why you're, why you're there. Um, you use spirits to protect. And so uh, it's a process of invocation of different kinds of protective spirits. And you can use energies and shields and uh, beings themselves to be able to do that. And the shamans construct their mesas in those forms. So they set up their mesa, their ceremonial center, with the uh, spirits around them that are going to do that. So they have protective spirits all around the space. They have spirits to ward off those kinds of energies and to be able to have, in essence, a safe place to be able to practice. And you can do all of those same things for yourself. You can invoke those spirits to be protective for you and to uh, explore that. Um, it's not something to be scared of, just like we're not scared of a common cold or we're not scared of driving down the road, but it is something to be aware of and to make your decision very clearly whether you're open to participating in something like that or not. I carry a very impartial view of it, but I was trained as a warrior shaman to heal those kinds of afflictions. You know, So for a period of time, I had great affliction from it. I've had many experiences where um, you know, I've been afflicted by it and then also have healed it. Is that it? All right, well, thank you very much. That's the time that they've given me for the talk today. Uh, we have some uh, DVDs that of, of uh, trance ceremonies that we've done that we've given out as playa gifts to everybody. So if you would like a DVD, we've also created a kind of electronic music called Source Trance, which uses the ikaros and the foundation of trance ceremonies to, uh, to create electronic music. And so we'd like to share with all of you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Are you performing tonight? Uh, we can. I'll let them know. So. Yeah. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. Before I say anything else, uh, I want to say how much I enjoyed Hamilton's manifestation stories just now. They were uh, really wonderful, and 
Yet, uh, I've not only heard wilder stories, uh, I've actually experienced one or two myself. And uh, so as I recall these experiences and uh, then think about putting them into English and tell the stories as Hamilton just has, well, thinking about that, I I have to ask myself, uh, quite honestly, how am I, uh, thinking about my own exceptional psychedelic experiences, well, how am I all that different from somebody who honestly believes that they've been abducted by aliens? Why is it that uh, I think of those people as weird, and uh, yet I find myself and my psychedelic friends to be quite normal? (laughs) Well, maybe we all have a lot more in common than we think, huh? Now, uh, here's another observation that uh, is only a hazy question in my mind right now, but one that I intend to spend more time thinking about. Like uh, perhaps you and many of our other fellow saloners, I've long thought of this life in uh, terms of a game. And uh, if you've read or listened to my novel, The Genesis Generation, you've heard my Earth game metaphor. But I somehow uh, now have a gut feeling that gaming, and particularly multiplayer online gaming, is having and uh, will continue to have a significant impact on the future of our species. I won't go into my reasons uh, for thinking that right now. Uh, All I really want to do is to make a simple observation based on uh, what Hamilton was just now saying about the malevolent spirit beings that he has encountered and to compare them with the malevolent beings that I've seen chasing my granddaughters while they were in the survival mode of Minecraft. (laughs) Now, what Hamilton was describing just now is quite similar. And interestingly, uh, to me at least, his strategy for dealing with them was exactly the same as what my granddaughters use in Minecraft, which is uh, simply to try not to get involved with them. So the question I have is this, are we dealing here with archetypes or are we uh, dealing with game designers who spend their holidays drinking ayahuasca in the Amazon? (laughs) Either way, I'll be more than pleased with the answer. Now, getting back to Hamilton's talk that we just now listened to, I don't know if it made an impression on your mind as deeply as it did on mine, but as I sit here and recall his rap, I have to admit that I haven't heard anyone else, and and trust me, I've spent time with some highly experienced Iowascaros who uh, collectively haven't given me the insights that I've gained from the talk that uh, you and I just listened to. So my recommendation is that you not only listen to this talk again, but you also listen to it right before your next or possibly your first ayahuasca session and see if it doesn't provide you with uh, just the right tools to extract the maximum benefit from the experience. I haven't yet spoken with some of our other guest uh, lecturers here in the salon about what they think about this talk, but my guess is that they're all going to overwhelmingly recommend it for multiple listens. Uh, This is a talk that uh, now has a permanent place on my MP3 player, and I sincerely hope that you got as much out of it as I have. So for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. (laughs) 